Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting here on The Big Talker, 106.7 FM, and on Saga, 9.60 AM in the Peel region, Ontario, Canada. This is Yael Uwasowski. I am uh, your solo host today. David is enjoying some time at the cottage up uh, in the northern part of Ontario, as uh, English Canadians uh, seem to do. (laughs) I know he's having a good time. He'll come back with some great stories for us next week, and uh, we're going to get the show running. A lot of news that has been happening in the past past week or so, and I know uh, he's not someone who's going to stay quiet about that. Uh, So you guys can always follow us on uh, ConsumerChoiceRadio.com where we put up all the past episodes. Uh, We also have all the interviews that go up on the YouTube page and uh, that podcast version that we send out via RSS. We are RSS crazy here, Uh, but we also love our radio audience. If you guys ever want to send us word, we are on Twitter. Uh, You can send us a message over there at ConsumerCRadio. Always ready to hear your feedback. Uh, we've gotten some good feedback the last couple of weeks. Had some great guests. Obviously, we had uh, Zara Sultani last week. She is uh, someone who is an Afghan Afghan refugee, uh, eventually settled in Canada. Uh, now she's high up at uh, a public affairs firm. Uh, she's been part of uh, political campaigns and gave us some great insight as to what's happening a little bit in Afghanistan. Obviously, some things have changed since then. Uh, the kind of date has passed, the U.S. has left officially, and everyone is a scrambling uh, to get out their allies, interpreters, and those who have special visas. So I we did put that up on the YouTube page if you guys are interested. Always wonderful uh, to get your feedback and to put that on there. And we've got some good guests as well for the hour. Uh, we've got uh, kind of uh, two different people on to give different perspectives on topics of the day. Uh, we're going to have, uh, in the last segment, we're going to have Rachel Chu. Uh, she's a writer. She's a Young Voices contributor. And uh, then we're going to have Franco Terenzano uh, from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation giving us an idea about what's really happening with uh, the federal government uh, in Canada, the spending, uh, the election that's happening, and actually how that will impact stuff across North America. So always some great insight from Franco. Rachel will be on. We'll be talking a little bit of tech news, a little bit about what's happening in New York, uh, apparently with uh, more restrictions on food delivery companies, specifically you know these tech startups, things like Uber Eats and uh, Grubhub and all these kind of things. What a surprise. The uh, the city of New York is trying to make it more difficult. Not a surprise at all. And uh, we'll also talk about misinformation online, uh, particularly related to vaccines and the role of the government in this. Uh, there's been a, a lot of talk in the past couple of weeks that the White House specifically would like to do a lot more. They've been calling out individual accounts for misinformation. They've been empowering uh, many people in different institutions to work with platforms like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube in order to try to silence or stop many people they claim are giving misinformation. So Rachel will be on the program, and we'll discuss a little bit about that. Uh, she really has a great insight, provides us a very good perspective. Uh, she's written a few articles on that and other topics. And then a little bit about the socialism-capitalism debate And Rachel makes the case that when we hear this debate and we're talking about numbers and ideologies and figures, we should actually listen to minority voices. 
particularly those that come from families that have escaped different totalitarian or socialist or communist regimes throughout the world. Uh, Rachel speaks from experience there, so she really has a powerful message on that. Uh, really important to hear that, and very happy to have her on uh, the program here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, both Franco and Rachel are multiple-time guests. That's what happens when uh, your co-host is, is is out on vacation. You uh, you try to you know roll up the Rolodex, see what's happening, and uh, thankfully we've got some very smart, intuitive folks who have contributed to this program and will continue to. Now let's look at the uh, the news, uh, things that are happening uh, in terms of. What is happening on the consumer front? You know, we haven't seen too much. It's been a sort of quiet time, uh, both north and south of the border. Uh, it has been kind of a break in terms of uh, Congress. Uh, everyone's kind of back in their district. And uh, Canada, it's all the focus on the elections. But we'll get into that in the second segment. Uh, definitely the hurricane, Hurricane Ida down there in Louisiana, New Orleans, all around there, now in Mississippi. That is a huge piece of news. Uh, there's probably going to be a lot of fallout economically that comes with this. Apparently, as we speak now, there's still about a million people without power in uh, both of those states, in Louisiana and Mississippi. Uh, just a huge impact. The amount of flooding uh, is just insane to look at. It was actually kind of odd. I, You know, some of us have, we've you know, heard about these hurricanes or we followed, you know, some of the news afterwards. This was really the first time that, at least in, per my memory, that we were really able to follow along with these amateur YouTubers. Did anyone else do this? I did. It's it's a, it's a very fascinating way to to see how the kind of consumer information world is changing. Because I didn't necessarily flip on, you know, CNN or you know ABC News or any of these big outlets. I actually just went to YouTube and looked up who was live streaming, what was happening who had some knowledge, who had some compelling graphs or charts, uh, projections. And it was just this random YouTuber fella. Uh, I think he had about 30,000 people watching at the time. He was live. He had been going live for about eight hours. And he had all of the charts, all of the graphs, some probably some super expensive software where he could track what was happening. He could find the videos of the hurricane making landfall in a very small parish in Louisiana, and then he was able to show what the exact wind speed was on the outer wall of the hurricane. Um, obviously a devastating situation. Uh, a lot of people will likely lose their homes. Uh, there will probably be a lot of damage. Uh, but really just a different way of analyzing things. You know, we really are in this age of kind of, I, I don't want to say citizen journalism, because I think that that term has gone by the wayside. That That's something from the last decade. It's not citizen journalism. It's more that it's individuals becoming empowered by the tools of technology and using that to broadcast messages, using that to provide alternative ways of putting the news together. It's really fascinating. And I don't know if you guys are in tune with things happening on YouTube or some of these other social media networks. I'd really implore you to do that. Twitter is a very good example of sort of a live news type thing. If ever you're watching a press conference or a speech, uh, you just type in the keyword on something like the twitter.com and you can get lots of great, you know, response that people are giving you, great feedback in the moment. Um, it's not just, you know, these kind of events. I've also done it with sport, um, sports games or matches or races. 
you know, seeing the play-by-play. Uh, that stuff is really interesting, and anyone can be a broadcaster now. You don't have to be on the radio here on this station. You don't necessarily have to be someone with you know, a huge following on YouTube or Facebook. Anybody can kind of do it. We all have phones. We don't all need expensive equipment like this uh, beautiful and expensive microphone in front of my face. But often, with all of the tools at our advantage, we have this new revolution and people being able to provide information. Uh, They're able to reach out to new people. Obviously, there are going to be gatekeepers. There will be those that aim to censor or stop or restrict what information is discussed, talked about, or put out there. That's why it is important to to have, you know, rating systems. That's why people like apps like Uber and Airbnb, because people are able to leave ratings. And that's the same with the algorithms on YouTube. When people give a like or subscribe, when they comment, it moves those videos up. Uh, so for me, it was just very fascinating to see uh, sort of the real-time uh, hurricane coverage coming from essentially just some guy in his basement. Uh, but I was not alone in watching I promise you, uh, definitely a lot of people tuned into that and a lot more. Uh, So I think there's going to be a lot more with that in the future. Um, There's a lot of different media tools that are now becoming more and more available. We saw it the last couple of years with uh, Facebook Live. Uh, Sometimes if you were, you know, beside an event or someone was beside a shooting or a speech, um, if you're at a birthday party, you know, people would be live streaming to their own Facebook feeds uh, we see the same with Twitter, and uh, now people are doing that even more. And who knows what type of programs and consumer software and information we'll have coming from that in the future. It's part of the consumer choice revolution, ladies and gentlemen. That's what we like here. We like these new innovations. We like all these great things happening. We love those innovative technologies that make lives better. Uh, that's why we talked about DeFi banking and everything related to the crypto space the last two weeks. Uh, talking to the CEO of Yield.app, uh, which is pretty cool as a, as a DeFi service. I talked about Crypto.com last week. I mean, there's all these great things that are happening and empowering people day in and day out. And I think that is the real positive thing to focus on now. Because all day long, we can talk about the bad stories. We can talk about how uh, the Taliban apparently has, you know, I don't know what, $20, million or $20 billion worth of weapons and planes and things that the U.S. military has left behind or given to the Afghan military that's now in their hands. Uh, We can talk about what's happening with inflation and uh, what's happening with spending, and we'll do that with uh, Franco in the next uh, segment. But to really focus on what's happening, you know, on the positive side, the amount of innovation that we see, you know, where businesses can be open, what they're actually doing for for customers, what they're actually doing for consumers, the amount of things that we're now able to order online. I think that's something that is just next level. And, you know, we have to remember that the iPhone is really only about a decade old. And from that moment, from that time, from Steve Jobs popping out with his black turtleneck, we've had so much innovation and now we have so much available in our hands. It really makes us thankful that this is the era that we're living in. We're not living a hundred years ago. We're not in the midst of world wars. We're definitely not in the midst of the draft. We're not in the midst of, you know, widespread poverty and Great Depressions. We're living in the information age 2.0, ladies and gentlemen, something to actually be glad about. We're talking about the future of everything related to banking and transportation, 
That's what makes consumer choice beautiful. That's what makes it all beautiful. And I, I hope we'll be able to talk about some of those innovations with Rachel Chu as well in the third segment. Again, great to have her on the program. Uh, give you another sort of analysis about everything that is going on. So looking at the uh, the rest of the news uh, before we head out for our first break, uh, one thing that I did see, this will impact uh, at least me, but some of y'all as well, seems as if the uh, tourist hotspots in Europe might actually start restricting uh, those vaccinated U.S. visitors. Uh, there was sort of an argument put up at the European Union this week. I mean, this is big if people want to take vacations and uh, sometimes people like to go in shoulder season, not necessarily in the summer, but uh, in between the seasons. And uh, many European countries are are basically being asked to try to make it a bit more restrictive for people coming from the U.S. and from North America in general, uh, because it's a red zone, ladies and gentlemen, red zone. Uh, fortunately, though, uh, many of the individual countries have it left to their prerogative. Uh, I would assume in places like uh, Italy and Greece and Spain, which are highly dependent upon tourism, uh, we're not going to see too many restrictions because I know they want to get those North American bucks uh, in the door as much as possible. Uh, But but really interesting to see there. You know, we thought all this was over, but it ain't over. It ain't over by a long shot. Not going to talk about that because you guys have probably been uh, bored enough about that. There's really too much uh, that's been happening there. And uh, we're we're looking up for more positive stuff, guys, more positive stories. You know, we've got uh, all types of, of great innovations that are coming through. Um, it's been really a great time in terms of the ability to try new products. Uh, definitely uh, the things that we did in last week's Consumer Corner. I mean, David talking about the amazing brewery, uh, something that is carbon negative, uh, you know, all kinds of great things in the DeFi, decentralized finance space. You know, I'm all really, I'm really hopeful. I think there's a lot coming. I think we have so much to look forward to. That's why we do this program is to highlight those. Uh, maybe we'll talk about supersonic travel come next. Those supersonic jets, ladies and gentlemen, are on the way. Much more to come here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. Franco Terenzano coming next. Welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM in the Peel region, Ontario, Canada, and on the Big Talker 106.7 FM, Wilmington, North Carolina. We're speaking with Franco Terenzano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, a multi-time guest here on Consumer Choice Radio. Franco, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I love being on this show. Well, uh, hopefully it's a nice, fun atmosphere uh, broadcasting across North America. And wouldn't you know it, we got some great news. Uh, apparently, the platform of the, the Liberal Party of Canada was just unveiled. Um, I'll show this at least uh, here on our, our video viewers on YouTube. I do have my ballot here, the Bulletin de vote spécial officiel uh, from uh, the government of Canada. I'm, I'm looking at my, my district, my writing, uh, seeing the candidates. And I guess now I have the Liberal Party uh, that I can look at. And uh, you've been taking a crack a little bit at this, and you say that there's a lot of spending involved, Franco. Could that be true? 
Yeah, I mean, a ton of spending. Uh, I mean, all we're hearing from the Liberal Party, especially in this platform, is just more borrowing, 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 borrowing. But we're not hearing a peep from the Liberal Party on when they're going to balance the budget. I mean, actually, I think taxpayers should be worried that the Liberal Party may never balance the budget. Um, I will we'll remember back to 2015. Remember when then Justin Trudeau, he was first running for prime minister. He told all of us that he would balance the budget in 2019. Well, he missed that target. Instead, he decided to run huge deficits. And now here we are. And with the Liberal Party's platform, they don't have a balanced budget in sight. Essentially, what they're trying to do is, is they're relying on the economy to hopefully contain the debt to GDP ratio without really finding some savings in this huge bloated budget. But I think the question on all of our minds is, well, what happens if reality isn't as rosy, right? What happens if Canada stumbles into another downturn? What happens if interest rates spike? And that's why this plan is so reckless. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We're speaking with Franco Tedenzano. He's the federal director at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. My inbox has been a flurried with many of his statements uh, and even had some some words to say about the conservative platform. So I will say you guys are equal opportunity punchers here. And you also say that they don't necessarily have, you know, a large plan for the debt and uh, we've talked the, you know, let's just go back to normal figures. What is the Canadian federal debt looking like right now? And do any parties right now in this election have a shot or at least an, a small plan to get this under control? Well, the federal, the federal government's debt is already over a trillion dollars, which means that each Canadian owes about $29,000 in federal government debt each. Now, I, I just want to throw a mind-boggling stat at you and your listeners here, but the Parliamentary Budget Officer, which essentially is the government's independent budget watchdog, it said that under the current trajectory, we would not see a balanced budget in Canada again until 2070 until 2070, right? That would add trillions of dollars onto the debt, $3.8 trillion lost just in interest charges, right? That's not going to healthcare. That's not staying in our pockets. That's going to the bond fund managers on Bay Street just to service the debt. But to answer that second question, I mean, essentially, no, we're not seeing any party really put a plan together to chip away at the debt. Now, we are seeing the Conservatives as the one of the only three major parties to actually talk about balancing the budget. So I guess kudos there. But essentially what we're hearing from the Conservatives is, hey, trust us, and in 10 years we'll have done something good. Yeah, and um, I go back to one of your other uh, sort of press releases here, and I, I think it's an interesting idea. You talk about how uh, actually it's, it's a divide between government and taxpayers. And it's obviously a big deal because we're talking about, as you said, a trillion dollars. And just the amount per family, the amount per individual in a way, you start out if you're just born, and you know I've got a newborn on the way. I've got a, a young daughter. We're still in the process of doing the Canadian citizenship thing. That's a, that's an aside, by the way. Apparently, it is so difficult to get a, a, a certificate of citizenship for actual Canadian citizens abroad uh, that the basically they're only now doing the applications that were filed in February 2020, uh, which hmm. means I have another year and a half. <laughs> uh, before my application will even be opened up, uh, just insane. I guess they're they're not uh, using all that money to to fund the bureaucracy. Uh, but this kind of divide, you know, between the the government and the taxpayers, what kind of causes this to be so so poor, so bad? Why is it that we don't really have concerns of debt that are brought up? Is it just because there are so many promises of money is that we kind of see this boutique idea of government that's trawled out every election. Is that just 
you know, the permanent campaign that we're going to have uh, until the Canadian government runs out of money? Well, one of the reasons is that I think the blame has to, in some part, probably a big part, fall on the politicians. I mean, they don't want to talk about this, right? They want to they want to ignore the elephant in the room, which is the one trillion dollars worth of federal debt, because they don't want to make tough de- tough decisions and and face some backlash from certain special interest groups, right? And look, these politicians are the ones who can get cameras quite easily. They can do press conferences quite easily. They could be talking and raising awareness about the one trillion dollar elephant in the room, but they don't want to. Um, but here's the truth of the matter: is that eventually tough decisions are going to be forced on us, right? We've seen that here in Canada. Remember back in the '80s and early '90s when the politicians were kicking the deficit. And down the road. Well, well, what it ended up happening? Well, we ended up seeing the province of Saskatchewan have to shut down 50 hospitals across the Prairie province, right? It, eventually, politicians are going to have to come to grips with reality, and they're going to have to start taking deficit seriously. And if they don't do it today, we're going to have some really tough decisions forced on us tomorrow. I want to shift gears a little bit because there's been uh, some interesting dialogue about sort of the future of private versus public health care in Canada. And it's it's something that, at least for Canadians who go abroad or people hear about the Canadian system, you know, it's a very important thing. You're, there's this kind of public insurance system. And uh, sort of what was brought up in the course of the campaign was this insinuation by current Prime Minister Trudeau that uh, the Conservatives and Aaron O'Toole uh, would, you know, sort of hint at a private health care system and made it seem terrible yeah. and bad. I, I guess uh, many European governments haven't woken up to this because they do have these hybrid type systems. Uh, what did you think of those comments? And, and you know, do you think this is sort of the, the, a good attack uh, that you can put up in this campaign? Or is this just something that's a bit weak? Well, I think it's more fiction than than it is like true fact, right? I, I, you know, I think what we do need in Canada is we do need some more entrepreneurs to actually help the healthcare system to take some burden off of the well, overrun government healthcare system. Because in Canada, what we have, um, especially for your listeners down south, I mean, we have a very high cost government healthcare system. But you can look at different uh, reports, different institutions who say, like, even though we spend a ton of money within the government healthcare system in Canada, we don't get the best results. Um, And and I think it really just brings to light the fact that, hey, if you have a problem, just throwing more tax dollars at it doesn't fix that problem. You have to really think about how do you change the institutions and the incentives. I mean, case in point is Alberta. The Alberta government has one of the biggest spending per person on healthcare in Canada, and it has some of the, uh, well, let's just say it's not achieved achieving the best results, right? Which just boils down to the question of, well, how are you going to improve the system? And one way to improve Canada's healthcare system is just to allow more entrepreneurs to relieve some of the burden on the government healthcare system. And in fact, we have done that here in Canada. I mean, Saskatchewan uh, was very successful doing that, where they had some private clinics, um, which reduced wait times and reduced the costs. Yeah, hopefully we can get that in other provinces as well. Not sure if that'll always be the case. Uh, But uh, let's think about uh, that a little bit more, too, because a lot of the interesting debates about healthcare uh, that have popped up in the United States, let's say in the last uh, six years or so, focused a lot on the federal government. In Canada's system, as we know, it is provincial, and uh, you have the Canada Health Act, you know, sort of as as the backbone of that. You know, do, do you see good examples of sort of more entrepreneurial systems throughout the provinces or other provinces that you hold up. Uh, you gave us Alberta, which is usually, you know, sort of the, the, the use case for a kind of better capitalistic government. Uh, but are there other provinces that are doing a bit better there uh, when it comes to having private services or just more competition? 
Well, Alberta's trying to move uh, more towards the direction where you have publicly funded but private delivered uh, healthcare. That is something that the Premier, uh, Jason Kenney, it seems like he's trying to do, and, and, and we encourage him to do that. But it's very difficult, right? Because you have these government union bosses that essentially have a stranglehold on, on the healthcare system. Let me just give you an example. Um, so we, we got the health minister from the Alberta government who came out and said, okay, we've got to privatize some of the services within a hospital, right? So talking about who's pouring the coffee, who's changing the laundry sheets, not even talking about the frontline services like, like nurses and things like that, just talking about some of the operations within the healthcare system, right? Pouring the coffee in the cafeterias, um, changing, doing the laundry just talking about that stuff, trying to get that privately delivered. And the, the, the union bosses within the government system just lit their collective hair on fire. So that is going to be the challenge that a lot of politicians have within Canada. Interesting. We're speaking with uh, the Twitter user Franconomics. That is Franco Terenzano from the Canadian Taxpayers uh, Federation. Another point that I want, let, let's be globalist for a second. Um, I know one thing that you've weighed on a good amount is this entire idea of this global minimum tax, something that oh, yeah. uh, Christiana Freeland has been yeah. uh, very big on, Deputy uh, Prime Minister, Finance Minister. And it, it's this idea, essentially, that every country in the world is going to have this standard, flat sort of corporate tax. There will be no competition. There will be no uh, squeezing out uh, other countries or having all of the companies go to Ireland or Estonia. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on this? And you know, how would Canada look if this were to go through? How would Canada look compared to the United States? Because I know there's uh, there's a lot of talk about different rates and, and different areas. Is there a chance that Canada would actually lose a good amount of companies to places either in Europe or the States or anywhere else? Well, sorry, I, I cut out for a second, so I didn't catch the whole question, but we are um, very concerned about this global tax cartel, right? And essentially, I don't know if you covered this in your, in your talk, but essentially, uh, what this all stems from the Biden administration wanting to raise taxes and not wanting to lose uh, businesses elsewhere, right? The thing that we do know is that tax competition is a good thing for taxpayers. It's a bad thing for politicians, these big spending politicians who are tripping over themselves, trying to figure out how to pay back their debts. It's bad for politicians. It's good for taxpayers, um, essentially because if you have these different jurisdictions who have to compete with each other in terms of offering services more efficiently at a lower cost, that's a good thing for all the taxpayers involved. I mean, case in point, look at the small prairie town of Lloydminster in Alberta. It, it's on the border of Alberta and Saskatchewan, so it's actually a border town. And for a long time, the Alberta part of the city was thriving and the reason was is because, well, uh, the Alberta government had a more business friendly tax regime and it actually forced the Saskatchewan gover government to make some changes. So that is a prime example of how tax competition actually helps Canadians. When we when we saw the federal government back in the day reduce business taxes, one of the things that they cited was international competitiveness. Same with the Alberta government, citing international competitiveness to push them to lower taxes. So I think as taxpayers, as actual citizens, we should be pushing for more tax competition. Uh, this global tax cartel, honestly, is the rate. Yeah, I think it was a a total loss uh, for a lot of people who saw uh, Burger King kind of uplift from uh, the, the U.S. Uh, as their corporate base and head up uh, to Canada up north. And I, I think, Franco, you covered it well, because uh, it is all about competition. It's about competition in tax rates. It's about competition in what countries can offer uh, various companies and entrepreneurs. So I think you're definitely on point there. 
And, and can I just jump in for a second? Because I think it's just so naive to think that you limit tax competition and businesses are all of a sudden just going to stop shopping around, right? That's not, that's not going to happen, especially when you talk about these large multinational corporations who hire oodles of government relations, public relations people. What are they there to do? They're there to get their business um, the best deal possible. So if we're not um, trying to attract these businesses through tax competition, well, what are we going to try to attract these businesses over? It's going to be corporate welfare, right? And the last thing that we need is to give our politicians, especially here in Canada, another reason to, to throw buckets of cash at these businesses. You know what I say? I say, hey, let's actually um, focus for more tax competition. Let's keep taxes low for everyone. Let families, businesses, workers keep more of their own money and, and let's compete that way. And hey, if the U.S. wants to raise their taxes, put in bad policy, I say respectfully, fill your boots. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Franco, I guess we, we did have one minute. I do want to hear very quickly about the CTF and your own campaign. Apparently, you're going around the country showing people these huge clocks, I think on billboards. I know you guys have done things like this in the past, kind of showing the debt. Uh, where will this be debuting and what does this look like? <laughs> So it, 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 so part of it has already debuted. We did have uh, a debt campaign um, in major cities across Canada, uh, a billboard, and it just showed, hey, we're a trillion dollars in debt. We had a little baby on the billboard and it says, hey, guess how much debt she's in? And it's $29,000 federally. So we did have that. Our next step is we are going to be doing a debt clock tour. We have this huge truck going around showing how the federal government's debt is increasing in real time. Um, and it's going to be coming out soon. I, I can't give you a firm date on that, though. No worries. Coming out. Franco, thanks so much for coming on Consumer Choice Radio. My pleasure, man. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960. AM and the Big Talker 106.7 FM. We're broadcasting up and down the coast in uh, North America, both Canada and the U.S. We've got uh, some great programming. Just spoke with Franco Terenzano, uh, which is great. Had a little insight as to what's happening north of the border, uh, but now we want to bring it down south again, and uh, this one is going to be fun. And I wanted to get on the smartest and most innovative voices that I could find for this program. We've covered a lot of ground today. We've got so much more to come. And that's why it is my privilege to host Rachel Chu here on the program. She is a Young Voices contributor. Uh, she works at a DC-based think tank. You can find her words plastered across newspapers, the internet, and the like. Rachel, thanks so much for coming on the morning program. Thanks so much. It's great to chat with you this morning. So there's a couple things I would like to get into, definitely highlighting your latest articles. Uh, one that we love to do here is we love to bag on New York. And specifically, I'm referring to an article that you have in the New York Daily News, no slouch of a newspaper. Uh, but the New York City Council just passed a bill that is actually going to put a lot of personal information at risk. It's going to actually sink many restaurants, and it's going to make it more difficult to get third-party food delivery services uh, to get them in the streets, rolling and delivering food to our doors. We're getting uh, told every single day that there might be more lockdowns, more masks, more of everything with Delta. And one of the great things that we have at our, our fingertips are these food delivery apps. But you're telling me that in New York, that might be in danger. Tell us what that is about. Mm -hmm. That's right. So uh, the New York 
City Council recently enacted a bill called the Data on Orders Placed Through Third-Party Food Delivery Services. So as the name implies, this is going to affect millions of New Yorkers who use apps like Uber Eats, DoorDash, Grubhub, and the like. Um, the bill would require third-party food delivery apps to share sensitive customer information, their name, phone number, email address, delivery address, uh, with restaurants. So the problem is that consumers use these apps for a reason. They want a fast, reliable, and secure way to order their food. Big companies like Uber can provide that, but small mom and pop restaurants simply cannot. Um, they don't have the infrastructure to protect user information and small businesses are already prone to cyber attacks and data leaks. So as a result, there's going to be a lot of fallout affecting both consumers and restaurants. Um, and so even though this happened in New York, um, and even though it's already passed, consumers um, in North Carolina and around the country should learn from this. And there really are a lot of lessons to be learned. It really comes down to so many of these legislators that see these great new innovative ideas pop up. And it's as if they either want a piece of the pie or they want to have you know, the taxes. We've heard about in various cities, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, San Francisco, uh, they've tried to pass these various bills uh, that they would, and taxes they would tack on to these deliveries. Do you see this, uh, does this have anything to do with, you know, protection of uh, uh, people who use these services? Or do you think this is a, another wielding hand of the government that's at play? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think with this one, it seems that um, the council wanted to help restaurants, right? So they've been having a really tough time over the past year, like everyone else, um, but they've really been hit hard. And I think that they saw this as a way to um, show that they care about restaurants and really act upon what they've been saying about how they're going to help them. Um, but in the end, this is not a good idea. Um, this is something that is a little bit uh, half developed. Um, and because there's so many uh, problems with it in terms of privacy. Um, the fact that is that restaurants, at the end of the day, they're not going to be able to protect user information in a way that doesn't put them um, with increased risk and liabilities. You're listening to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting on Saga and on the Big Talker 106.7 FM. Again, we're speaking with Rachel Chu. You can follow her on Twitter, Rachel H-C-H-I-U. Read all of her writing comments and the like. Uh, we're talking about her article here in the New York Daily News about the food delivery bill in New York City. And this is not just a New York problem. This will be happening in many big capitals and large cities. Uh, so definitely something to look out there. Well, another thing I wanted to point to, Rachel, you have uh, another article. Um, this time you're over there in Detroit. Man, you're hitting up all these capitals. <laughs> it's great. And uh, big cities. Uh, this one is about the disinformation dozen and about the role of the White House in becoming the arbiter of misinformation. Uh, obviously, the pandemic has given us lots of cranks. It's given us cranks on, I think, all sides. I think everybody would, would say that. And now we have this new scrutiny upon tech companies, upon how they moderate comments and posts. And now the White House has gone a step further and said that they're singling out 12 people that they call the disinformation dozen and essentially saying that uh, Facebook or Twitter or any of these other organizations should do more, and they're not doing enough to try to either scrub these comments, to drown these accounts, 
or to really get them off the platform. So what is happening here and why do you think we should be concerned about where this is headed? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So a few weeks ago, um, the White House press secretary highlighted 12 people um, who she claimed were producing 65% of the anti-vaccine misinformation on social media platforms. And I think this is one of the first times we've really seen something like this, where a White House official singles out Americans. And I mean, everyone has their own opinion on, you know, how we should handle this pandemic. Um, I know that the anti-vaccine debate is very contentious, but I think even for those of us who believe that the vaccine is a good thing, um, we should be able to see that pointing out 12 people and saying that they're responsible for a lot of the problems we see today is simply not right. And I think from a First Amendment standpoint, even though um, it, what they did doesn't violate the First Amendment, it comes really close um, by saying that Americans um, are um, doing something, uh, do have misconduct on these platforms, and then trying to uh, censor what they say. I think that comes really close. And even though we can't say it's a First Amendment violation, it's something that we should be very wary of. And it definitely has to be called out. It's another, yeah, it's one thing when we have pressure from civil society groups or uh, different companies that are putting pressure on these social media networks. It's yet another thing when the White House press secretary is calling them out. And I, I think you're definitely right on that. It's right up on that on that line. And I'm kind of wondering, what is the kind of expectation with the social media networks and moderation? Because as we know, the moderation rules are created by human beings, carried out by human beings, people with biases on all sides. Um, I'm not the first person to bring it up on talk radio this week. But as we well know, the Taliban, is uh, they've got their own active Twitter account, uh, but former President Trump does not. Mm -hmm. uh, tells you a lot. Uh, but it's just so muddled. What are the expectations on these companies? And really, what is realistic of what they can do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's evolving, right? So social media companies have really been pushed more in the past year than they ever have before when it comes to content moderation. And I think that's something to note is that they're not going to get everything right. Um, and they're going to do things that um, government officials, the, pu the public, they're users that they're not going to be fans of. Um, but at the end of the day, social media companies are private businesses. They are also protected by the First Amendment. And I think that there needs to be some room for them to, um, to fine tune their content moderation policies. Um, and certainly as they do that, the White House should not be telling them how to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think this is uh, the age-old lesson um, that I know that we've talked about on, on other programs is, is that as soon as you empower one government institution uh, with whatever power it is, some discretion, you should expect that the political opponent will come back the next year and do exactly the same thing to your side. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful of how the pendulum swings. Uh, all the, the tech debate, though, has uh, sort of—I don't, I don't want to say it's died down, but we haven't seen as much pressure lately— uh, perhaps that'll be coming in the fall. What do you think are the big sort of political fights that people who are interested in these issues when it comes to social media and social media regulation, what should we be looking out for mm -hmm. um, as Congress comes back in a session towards the end of the month? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different issues. Um, we're seeing 
Section 230 content moderate moderation issues come back up. Um, we're seeing a lot of antitrust as well, um, and that directly affects uh, technology companies. Um, congressmen are going after big tech right now. Um, and I think the antitrust issues are certainly ones to watch. I know that it's a little bit uh, more complicated um, to, to understand, but um, the bills that are being proposed right now that are currently um, in the House they will radically change the customer and user experience. Um, they will change the way that platforms like Amazon, Facebook, Google, the way that they're run and the way that they're used. So I would definitely say that's the one to watch out for. Now that's coming to us very soon. So uh, thank you, Rachel, for that. I, I want to highlight one last article of yours here in the last minute and a half. I got with you an uh, article from the Orange County Register the socialism versus capitalism debate needs more minority voices. Um, those of us on conservative talk radio are going to love this. Um, we'll definitely link to all of these in the show notes, guys, so you can uh, get a look at that. Uh, Rachel, you're looking at different polls, and you're looking at attitudes of minority voices when it comes to capitalism versus socialism. Uh, you use some experience of your own family, and basically saying that there's a lot of different things that aren't being discussed or talked about or even thought about when it comes to how we discuss socialism and capitalism in the 21st century. How would you explain the, sort of what do you go into mm -hmm. here? Yeah, so my op-ed was centered around a recent Axos poll. And the bottom line of that poll is that America is moving towards socialism and that American attitudes towards it are starting to soften up. Um, and when I read that, it really was kind of curious to me because um, for families like mine or uh, immigrants um, who have uh, come from countries that had socialism or communism. We know that it's not something favorable. It's not something good. And um, the way that it's portrayed na nowadays, especially with the rise of democratic socialism, it's like an idea that you can opt, it, opt into. Um, but for people who have seen how it works, um, that's certainly not the case. Um, it's really hard to turn it back and we don't get to decide how far socialism gets to go, which is, I think, a, a tenet that uh, democratic socialism likes to portray that, oh, we're not going to go as far as authoritarian socialism of the past. Well, we don't get to decide that. And I think when we're talking about this discourse around socialism, especially in America, we really need to hear more voices from people who have actually experienced it and know the harm that it causes. Yeah, we know everything that happened in Cuba. We know what's happening in the streets now and many more lessons to tell. So that's Rachel Chu, Young Voices contributor. Rachel, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks so much. I love talking to people like Rachel. She's smart. She's dialed in. Uh, and she's actually contributing and writing articles and putting things out there and to really be able to read her and to be able to speak with her about what's happening and what's going on, particularly in the field of technology, when so much is changing day by day, when we have committee after committee, uh, when we have all kinds of uh, politicians in uh, many world capitals discussing what they would like to do uh, with social media giants, so-called. Great to get some perspective from Rachel there. So we'll definitely link to her articles in the show notes. Hope you guys will continue reading that and seeing what that is all about. Uh, just as a reminder, you can always go over to ConsumerChoiceRadio.com where you can listen to this program after it airs on the radio. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast version. Never forget that. Uh, a little bit of fun out there. I think we've done something in the order of about 88 episodes now. 
So we uh, started our program in January 2020, and we've gone on every single week since there, not taking a break, being sure that we continue to provide value and content to those of you who might be listening uh, throughout uh, North America. So we'll be back, uh, obviously, with David next week uh, while he enjoys uh, the cottages and uh, the wilderness of Ontario I know he's got some some good stories that he'll bring back. Uh, have seen some pictures where he's been uh, he's been having a good time. So, uh, someone who's been on vacation comes back feeling refreshed. I know we're going to have a good time when he's back on the program. Uh, you can also go over to our YouTube page where we put up all of our interviews, give you the more visual aspect of what we're doing. This is a it's a media conglomerate, folks. We ain't just on the radio; we're all over. Uh, so, thank you guys uh, always for tuning in. Uh, wonderful show up and down uh, the East Coast, uh, up north, down here in the South. We've done it all. So thank you, guys. Uh, Consumer Choice Radio will be right back after these messages for our final send-off. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. Consumer Choice Radio, hosted by Yael Ososki and myself, David Clement, is a syndicated weekly conversation featuring the latest news, interviews, and expert analysis that covers consumer topics from around the world, focusing on innovation, tech, regulatory policy and science. Tune in every week to learn why consumer choice matters. You can find all of our previous episodes, interviews, and show notes over on consumerchoiceradio.com as well as the podcast version of this show. And as always, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you do listen to your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio, myself at Y-A-E-L-O-S-S, and David at Clement Liberty. And find our interviews on YouTube and Instagram, just looking up Consumer Choice Radio. If there is a consumer issue affecting you that you think that we should cover, email us directly at hello at consumerchoiceradio.com. Thank you again for listening.
United States of America is healed and well again. Say it. Hallelujah. Glory.